there's all these great Facebook groups for podcasters. There's nothing talking about the post-production side. I want to have a discussion about post-production. I thought, well, if nobody else is going to create one, I guess I'll do it. And I knew a couple people who were editing. I didn't know if they were doing it for money or just they did it themselves, but I invited a few to get it going. And within just a month, I think I had at least 100 people in there. And over the years, people just, because that community is, yes, we're in competition with each other, but really there's enough room to go around, enough business to go around. So we've just been collaborative and helpful. Podcast Junkies, episode 336. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Happy New Year, if I haven't extended that greeting to you already. I'm recording this at the end of January. So technically, any time in January is still time to uh, say Happy New Year. So I hope yours is off to a great start. If you are new to the show, it's the one where we seek out interesting voices in podcasting, get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. And if you are a regular listener, whether you've been here since episode one or episode 335, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Anytime that you've invested into this show, I don't take that for granted. I know how valuable our collective time is and how much noise there is out there, uh, good and bad, to occupy our time, our eyes, our ears, our senses. And so anytime you spend here learning, being entertained by, being educated by, or inspired by, my guests and our conversations. I really appreciate that and uh, hope you keep on coming back. If you missed last week's episode, we had a fantastic conversation with Jonathan Dio. He is a client of mine. We've been working on his show for the past two years. It's called Mindful Money. Really impactful conversation. When I think back uh, as to the reason Jonathan started the show, it was because of an experience that happened with a family member that uh, was impactful. And it's a emotional story. I don't want to give too much away. I'd rather you listen to that episode because it's really impactful and it's a really strong reminder of what we're able to do when our our why is is strong enough. And so it's been just great to see the action he's taken. He's closing in on 100 episodes and now he's starting a solo series. It's a great blend of financial insights around personal finances mixed in with Jonathan's background in Buddhism and his Zen approach to life, which is uh, makes a really compelling audio. So check that podcast out and that episode if you have not done so already. His show is Mindful Money. This week, I have a conversation with an old friend of mine, Steve Stewart, also friend of the show. Steve was on Podcast Junkies way back in 2014. And like previous recent guest, uh, Dave Jackson, He was someone who took a chance on a new show. And as I inch my way closer to the 10-year anniversary, which would be around April 2024, depending on where you're listening to this, I have to think about uh, a very special way. That's a huge milestone for me. And uh, I want to make sure I'm giving credit to all my guests because I wouldn't be here without them as well. So Steve was one of those early guests. And we continue to bump into each other at the podcasting conferences. And naturally, those are not the best places to have a long-form conversation. So I'm so grateful for this platform and this opportunity to share what's been happening in Steve's world. He's an incredible resource and champion for the podcasting community. And you can just tell by his enthusiasm when he talks about podcasting that this is something that uh, he is very passionate about. And we talk about his move from being an actual podcaster to more of an editor and supporting the podcast editing community. He's built up a thriving community for podcast editors. And we cover everything from podcasting, vinyl collections, breakdancing, 
old school hip hop. We both are DJs. Uh, he talks about recently having to sell his music collection, which broke my heart, but it's something that every DJ deals with at some point in time, I'm sure. He posted about it on Facebook. Um, we talk about the evolving role of podcasting and editing specifically, how it's moving into more of a need to take in the, the video component as well, and all the different platforms and the overall landscape. It's really an insightful view into where we've been and where we're headed as podcasters and from the perspective of someone who's been there and been doing it for a long time. So I, I know you'll get a lot out of this episode. I can't wait to share it with you. I'm on the lookout for new reviews. So if you are loving the show, I'd love if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast chunkies. If you cringe when you hear this, it's because you've been meaning to do this and you haven't done it yet. So please do so. I love reading those out on future episodes. And remember, these episodes are full of Great takeaways from my guests, but all you have to do is listen, kick back your heels, relax, pull the lever on that lazy boy, and just enjoy. Anything we mention and cover is going to be found at podcastjunkies.com as we make it a point to write some pretty thorough show notes there. Okay, before we get into this uninterrupted conversation with Steve, here are a few words from the folks that support this show, including one brand new sponsor. If you've been on the fence about getting your podcast started, I have great news for you. My newly updated course, Podcast Blueprint 101, walks you through everything you need to get your podcast off the ground. And best of all, listeners of this show will get 50% off. In this course, I'll walk you through everything you need to get your podcast off the ground. In section one, Mindset, we'll talk about getting started, the importance of the right mindset, and how to think about continuous improvement for your show. In section two, we lay the groundwork. We talk about planning your show, positioning it, and how to go about creating a quality production. In the growth section, we focus on where and when to publish your show, how to promote it to the right platforms, and as an added bonus, some specifics about how you can profit from your show as well. I've also included a list of tools and services that have been helpful for me in the growth of my show. So again, the URL is podcastblueprint101.com and use promo code PBHD50 to get 50% off exclusively for listeners of the show. With so many companies starting up in the podcasting space, sometimes it's a bit of a challenge to figure out who you can trust and what the company is all about, which is why with my co-founder, Brad Nolan, we've created The Podosphere. Think of it as Yelp for podcasters. The Podosphere features all the companies making moves in the podcasting space. In this comprehensive directory, you'll be able to view the different companies by category, rate your favorites, and connect with them on their socials. As you learn more about your favorite companies, you'll also be able to create your own pod stack, which is a feature that lets your fans know all the companies and services that you're currently using to produce your show. For the most comprehensive podcast directory in the galaxy, head on over to thepodosphere.com. All right, my friend, Steve Stewart, podcast editor, co-founder of the Podcast Editor Academy and founder of the world's largest podcast editor and most diverse podcast editing community in the world. How did it do? You remembered all that. That's great. <laughs> That's a lot. Podcast editor extraordinaire. It's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Didn't know this. Didn't know I was going to love it until I started doing it. Well, crazy. For the listener and for, well, for the viewer, it's obvious. Thank you for the gracing my wall back there first. Oh, yeah, yes. The wall, the podcast junkies. Look at that, the t-shirt. What do you call that? Your t-shirt hall of fame? It's the t-shirt wall. My <laughs> wife was trying to find a great Christmas gift for me. She couldn't figure out what I wanted. Yeah. And she's like, well, you know, that wall that you got behind your live streams is kind of boring. And it really was. Yeah. She came up with the idea. She did all the work and now I've got a wall of 
classic tees up on the, up there. So do you? So yeah, lots of great stuff. If there ever there was an incentive for the listener to watch on YouTube, which we'll make it on there. I've been doing a better job of getting this content on there and taking advantage of this great video that we're shooting nowadays, courtesy of Squadcast. So yes, you can Squadcast. see that wall. Do t-shirts get swapped in and out? No, actually, I'm supposed to extend it over here. <laughs> okay. And I'm sure we'll talk about why you can see this area now later in the interview. <laughs> okay. But we are planning on moving next year, so I'm not going to do anything else right now. Yes. See what we can do on the next place. So I probably should have had your episode. Do you remember your episode number, your first appearance on Podcast Junkies? 21. 21. Yikes. Or 22. I'm going to find 22 because <laughs> it's still up on my Overcast app. And you did chapters, yes. which is not something you did back then. That's very good. Yeah. Thank you. And so thanks for coming back on. And thanks for being an early supporter of the show. I mean, that was probably 2014-ish or maybe 15. But yeah, I was just getting started. And I think we connected at some podcast conference or I saw you. And I was like, this guy looks like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I was talking to Elsie Escobar when we met because you were talking to her. Oh, yeah. And then we just started talking. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But I did all that just to get on your show for the t-shirt. <laughs> that's a pretty... So... 10 years is 2024. Wild for me to think yeah. about. And so I really have to plan it. I've put the bug in Jared's ear that I want to speak and I want to talk, tell my 10-year story. So he said he might give me a shot on stage to do that. So that would be fun. So I, Title the session, the top five lessons I learned. Okay. Or the top 10 if it's 10 years. Yes, that would be great. Got to key it in that way. That'll work. Okay. I'm going to have to credit you for get Steve Stewart to prep you for your talk. That's one of the tips. Fantastic. That'd be great. <laughs> and I think I'll have to bring the t-shirts back for either. This is something I'm talking about. So I'm live brainstorming this with you. But one of the thoughts is to buy enough and then check to see who's going to actually be there from past guests, get them all new t-shirts mm. and then have them sit as close to the front row as possible. <laughs> and then yes. And get a nice picture while you're on stage. Yes. 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 Or get them to stand yeah. up or something like that. So, I mean, I'm at 300 plus interviews so there's a good, well you know uh, yeah. you don't need to do it that complicated just get all the shirts put them in the front row people who get there just tell them you got to put it on for a selfie and they'll do it yes you don't have to qualify them as being former guests that's i mean true. i'd wear this shirt except i couldn't fit into it anymore that's why it's on the wall <laughs> so talk a little bit about your podcasting journey because obviously it's been a long time and there's folks that are going to be finding you for the first time with this episode so to the extent you want to cover or what you want to cover talk a little about that yeah last time we talked i was on episode 162 yeah. of the money planet source podcast been doing it since november 2010 but i retired it okay in october 2015 at episode 200 and if they go back and listen to episode 22 of the podcast junkies they'll hear there was times when i was questioning why i was doing this yeah. and i didn't want to quit and didn't want to give up and should i rebrand well guess what i, I almost rebranded I was retiring the show. I thought 200 would be perfect. In fact, one of the big things in my life was attending the FinCon Expo, which started out as the Financial Blogger Conference yeah. in 2011. I didn't make it to the first one. I made it to the second one, loved, fell in love with the community. And I was known as, well, there were very few podcasters at this so-called blogger conference. And I was always encouraging people to start a podcast. Yeah. And so I became known as one of the few bloggers with podcasts. They eventually let me speak and stuff. But I was always encouraging people to start. And that turned into a career. Yeah. But going to Fin... Why was it going to the story here? Just to start. I mean, just how we started and just right. your podcast roots. 
Right. So I recorded my 200th episode at FinCon 2015, okay. a year after you and I had the, the first conversation, and was going to launch a new show. In the meantime, there were two very famous bloggers from that community who were talking. They had been talking all year about starting a podcast. And they were talking, and they were talking, and they never pulled the trigger. And they finally said, we just need some help. So they contacted me. We had a conversation in December of 2015 and said, Steve, we just want to hit record. We do the rest. I'm like, sure. It's going to be a new side hustle because I can't just do it for free. And they're like, absolutely, Steve, we'll pay you. I was making less than minimum (laughs) wage doing this thing. But it was fun. It was something I already knew all the skills. I wasn't great at it, but I I knew what to do and I could help them out, get launched and, and edit their show. Well, there are two big-name bloggers, and of course, with two big-name bloggers in a space, other people in that space hear about it. By then, about a month later when we launched the show, it this is crazy, Harry. So the show launched, and it hit number five in the business category wow. of iTunes. Back then, it was still iTunes. Yeah. Even though their category is business investing, it hit number five in the business section. So you know, and that was in 24 hours. Wow. Crazy. Wow. So... A lot of people heard about it. And so people who I knew from FinCon were then, the next couple of months, were like, oh, we know Steve. We like Steve. We trust Steve. We don't want to edit. Maybe Steve will edit. So it just became a career by about six months later. Okay. Middle of 2016, it was all I could do. So I had to give up everything. I've been working on building a financial coaching business mm-hmm. for about eight years. I already said that I retired the podcast. I was going to start a new one. Yeah. That didn't happen. I had previously quit the day job to focus completely on the financial coaching business, which just did this. And if people aren't watching, it's just a steady line. (laughs) Yeah. Just a steady line. It didn't really grow, even though I put more effort into it. So I thought, thought, okay, good. I'll give it a shot. I'll go full-time six months after I've started doing it as a part-time thing. And that's my career now. And I love it. Mm. I love it, love it, love it, love love it, love it. When you think about the jobs you've had, your career, because I don't know how, I don't mean remember how deep we got into the stuff that you do pre-podcast what is that that would be bc before or bp before podcast BP. <laughs> bpj yeah before podcast junkies yeah <laughs> what the 30 second recap of like the life you were living back then okay well we'll start with just the year 2000 i took a job with a company where i was auditing their units and franchise owners okay so there's a lot of travel involved and that's how i started to hear about podcasts was at first it was radio, but yeah. then I started hearing some radio shows talking about podcasts. And that's how I started hearing about what a podcast was in 2000. I think I discovered it in 2005. So I wasn't one of the early, early adapters. Yeah. Early compared a lot. But it was, uh, yeah, it was as an internal auditor for a company. And then the side hustle at the time was financial coaching because that was really something I got into and really loved. So I kept doing that until March of 2015. So again, probably about six to eight months before I started talking to other people about editing for them. I noticed a trend or a through line of finance, you mentioned auditing as well. Is that something you studied or just something you had a passion for earlier? Okay, we got to go back further into time here, Harry. <laughs> Let's go back. And we talked about this in the first episode or episode 22 of Podcast yeah. Junkies. Go back and listen, everybody. Yeah. DJ yeah. from high school was in a breakdancing group. Mm-hmm. Everybody can see my Run yep, DMC sweatshirt yep. that I wore for you. So I was big into vinyls, DJing, and I was in Chicago. So I was into Chicago House when it really started. And so the music, all that stuff. And then I started working at record stores and kind of moved up the ranks, started working as assistant manager, and then actually got to run a couple of flagship stores when Blockbuster got into the music scene Mm. and they opened Blockbuster music stores. Yeah. 
So I was involved there for many years, and then I, what was the reason why? Oh, it's just an opportunity came up yeah. for an internal auditor position with Blockbuster Music. Okay. I thought, well, this is perfect. I already know all the ins and outs. I already know everything that everybody tries to do to steal because they tried <laughs> it with me. So I'd be a great auditor and got the job. Yeah. And I did that for probably about two years. And then, boy, we're going to go into some deep stories here. Yeah. Then in the year 1997, December of 97, I met the woman who is now my wife. So I'm living in Chicago, internal auditor. For Blockbuster, meet her. She lives in Dallas. Long time relation or long distance relationship. We actually made it work. Yeah. She decided to move to St. Louis. I decided to chase her, but I had to give up the job. I thought, okay, well, I'll go back to like an assistant manager at a Blockbuster music store. So I did that, and that was for maybe another year or two. And then I saw the writing on the wall because this is now about the year 1999, mm-hmm. 2000. We're talking Best Buy, Circuit City. Target were selling CDs really cheap. I saw yeah. the writing wall. And then we have Napster yep. and LimeWire. Yep. And there's another one there. So people are just downloading music. So I got out of that scene when I found an auditor position with CKE, the company that I then worked with in 2000. So it was kind of a, I went up in the music chain and then I couldn't go any further and moved over to a different company to do the auditing. Wow. You need <laughs> to edit all that out. That was no, boring. No, not at all. I think what's interesting is that people take for granted just crazy paths we take to end up where we are right now. Because if, you know, if I told my story, I've got employment going as far back as working for like a spy store, being a waiter, just working in just rent. I worked in construction. <laughs> I was yeah. hard hats and climbing scaffolds, you know, worked at a bank. I was a teller, you know, worked wow. in, and so I've done a lot of wild and interesting jobs. Just kind of just that leaned into my skill set. And I think most people think that a lot of people will have this one career trajectory, just like go to college, study the finance, get a job in finance, get promoted in finance, become a boss in finance. And I think it's so interesting because you're following your passion. In this case, you're following your love as well. And sometimes, look at me, I'm in Minneapolis, (laughs) I'm in Minnesota, the farthest thing from the both coasts because I've lived in New York and LA and it's because of love. And, you know, obviously you've met Natalie and I'm grateful to be here. And it's a completely fish out of the water experience for me. So much so that I'm asking my partner, Natalie's father, to maybe you want to teach me how to shoot a gun. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> so just kind of like, you know, interesting because you have a, an interesting relationship here, especially a big hunting community and you have respect for what they do. And, you know, we eat stuff that he's hunted, you know, and it's so interesting. I think there's something to be said for continuously being put out, out of our comfort zone into different environments, different experiences, because it, it sort of all makes us what we are today. Well, you certainly had a lot more jobs. I mean, you and I come from the time when you didn't change jobs that often. These days, it's pretty much expected for one reason or another. But I mean, yeah, a lot of people come out with that idea of that corporate ladder, getting out of college, one career path that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it's for some, for some. But then I think they're looking at like the career ladder of a startup, which didn't exist back then. It's very interesting and totally different. But now you can jump jobs. And there's so many new jobs that didn't exist five, ten years ago. Almost ten years ago, we had this conversation. I had no idea I was going to be a podcast editor as a career. Who does that? (laughs) So now it can be a full-time job. Yeah, believe it or not. And I did shed a tear, and we talked about this at the conference when we connected. You You had to part ways with your collection. 
The big bare spot on the wall. <laughs> used to be a wall of records. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I gave it up. I sold them to a guy that it was totally fitting for him. So it was a great option. What, yeah, to, I didn't so, want to have to move all these. Talk a little bit about that process, because I'm sure that's not a decision you make overnight, especially. I mean, I'm thinking myself, I've carried my vinyl collection has been with me from New York to Atlanta, back to New York, and then over to California, and then pulled out of storage. Wow. And so whatever's left and can fit in a those uh, Ikea bookcases that you do sideways, eight panels, that's about what I got left. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've got these metal racks over here that held thousands, and most of them were, were 12-inch vinyl remixes yeah. or dance records. Yeah. So. It was a very unique collection because, again, grew up in Chicago, was DJing, so I bought not LPs but 12-inch vinyl. We're going to bring people down here. At the store <laughs> not if you at all. Want to hear it, but <laughs> We're going to bring them up. So we've already talked. Yeah, already talked about how I was a DJ in high school. I was in a breakdancing group in high school, and my best friend was the leader of the crew. Yeah. And obviously, the whole crew was full of friends. Now, what's the name of the crew? It was the Crew Masters. Crew Masters. Okay. Yeah, we were one of the only breakdancing groups in the Chicago suburbs. There were some in Chicago proper, but still yeah. it was kind of like an outlier thing. But anyway, so my best friend, he passed away in September 2021. Okay. Not for the things that we thought would happen. My best friend had testicular cancer at age 16 wow. and went through chemo. And if you know anything about biology, <laughs> or you can just imagine the fact that if you go through chemo at 16, your body doesn't necessarily develop on the regular trajectory that everybody else does. Yeah. So he was constantly having weird things happen throughout his life. You'd never know it if you saw him. And he was the nicest guy, and he would remember your name like that, and you wouldn't forget Tim. Mm -hmm. Tim with two M's, nicest guy in the world. You wouldn't forget him. And so he survived that. He was thriving and stuff but he always had these weird, weird medical problems and then in 2019 he calls me up he's like guess what i've got cancer again oh, man. after 35 years oh, man. like oh you got to be kidding me so he's being treated for that and here's my best friend suffering again through cancer again and beating it again amazing amazing september of 2021 we lost him to covid yeah we lost him to COVID because, I mean, when you're going through chemo and you're dealing with cancer and all the medications and here's this new drug that he can't take because nobody knows exactly what it's going to do to him. Yeah. He eventually gets COVID and they just, yeah. So because we lost him and because I was no longer DJing, mm -hmm. I didn't really feel the need to keep the vinyl around. Yeah. If I've got digital versions of all this stuff, yeah. I can play them and it's probably easier. I'm not going to turn turntables on. I'm going to open up my music app and play them from there. Yeah. I'm always going to have it on my phone with me or whatever. Yeah. So I can remember Tim anywhere I go with my phone. Why keep a ton worth of vinyl around? Yeah. So I came to that conclusion that, you know what? It's okay for me to sell the vinyl. I actually sold my CDs as well. Okay. All but maybe 100, 150 CDs. Big collection. Yeah. And what am I going to use them for? Yeah. So, yeah, I just found some people who could use them. And I was okay with letting it go. Yeah. Where do they come from? They weren't in town, right? They're from out of town, the folks who bought Right, right. So I moved to St. Louis in the year 98, yeah. and but all the, most of the records would really, most of them would be for someone who lived in Chicago. Okay, who would know the music. Yeah, so the guy came down with a big U-Haul. We loaded it up, and he hauled it back. Yeah. Yeah. Got to say goodbye to them. So interesting to have that connection to something that was a big part of your life. I'm curious, did you have a specific move in the breakdancing crew? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people re reference it to like the Russian dance okay. where you're 
how do you describe it on audio? <laughs> so you've got your hands on the floor and your feet on the floor, but you're kind of looking at the ceiling. Oh, okay. And you kick one leg up. Yeah. Okay. And you're standing on the other, and then you switch yeah. midair. Oh, got it, yeah. So that was kind of my thing. But I was the DJ, so I didn't have to dance that much. And I think the moment that I saw Beach Street is probably the first time that I think... I don't know if there's something that I saw on camera in terms of breakdancing. And I just remember... I never forget that experience, because it's like the battles, the music as a DJ, that whole scene, just growing up around that time, just it was so exciting you know, to yeah. see that. And then obviously growing up in New York City, and you, know, you get to see it in live on the street. But I don't know if you've been following. I follow on some of these the new wave of breakdancers it's huge in japan and Rise. some of these competitions <laughs> the moves that they're doing steve are bananas like defying gravity yeah. type of stuff it is crazy and some of the old moves i think still hold up but the stuff that kids are doing now breakdancing wise it blows my mind that you can even like do that with your body it's pretty crazy yeah well once you see, it's like the four minute mile the guy broke it and then everybody else started breaking it yeah banister, so once yeah yeah, once you see somebody else doing it, you're like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. Maybe I can do that. It's possible, so I'm not going to break my back trying it. <laughs> or maybe you do, but yeah. Yeah, th- yeah. And I guess maybe next year, breakdancing in the Olympics? Oh, yeah. That would be interesting. I mean, it's almost oh, like gymnastics uh, to some extent in terms of the, how they score gymnastics and they see one do someone do a, a flip or something on the horse. They're gauging their ability to do something with precision, I guess, is how you... If they can come up with a scoring system for gymnastics, they can come up with a scoring system. Right. <laughs> Originality. <got> the, and <laughs> three, four judges with the cards that say yeah. one through ten. Yeah. Hold them up in the air. Yeah. My best friend, he was very much a maven for for breakdancing. Oh, yeah. And for hip-hop in general. Yeah. And he was in a couple documentaries and all this stuff. What's his name? So he was... What's his name? My best friend's name? Yeah. The one who... Yeah. The, you're talking about... Yeah. Tim Edders. Oh, that was Tim. It's okay. two M's. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Tim Edders. Yeah. And he was always promoting hip-hop he was a mural artist so okay. he would paint murals in high schools wow what a great place to influence people about <laughs> hip-hop and we were always on the clean side of hip-hop yeah. there's the bad side or the perception of bad you know the drugs yeah, yeah. we were anti-drugs we were anti all the violence and stuff like that we we're using breakdancing for what it truly should have been friendly competition coming together as a group yeah a lot of good stuff in there and so man he meets some people at these high schools and they had some really wicked moves too yeah just Oh, yeah, I break dance, too. And then they do something <laughs> while he's painting. Crazy. Did stuff. anybody get captured on film? From your oh, yeah. Yeah, Tim always took pictures and video and stuff Is like there that. any of you breakdancing on film? Or- yeah, we have a DVD. In fact, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary of the Crewmasters. So me and a couple of the main guys got together. We not just had the celebration, but a memorial for our friend. Mm. And we watched the DVD he put together 20 years ago. It was oh, the 20th man. anniversary DVD collection. <laughs> Yeah, there's some video. Not much. Yeah. I, a couple of the big ones I had to miss out on, or I was the DJ in the back, so yeah. I wasn't breaking. Well, if you get it onto YouTube, send us the link. We can put it in the show notes, too. <laughs> we would be breaking copyright laws because uh, yeah. all, all the music, you know? Yeah, that's Looking right. for a perfect beat, oh, new, yeah. nucleus, jam on. Africa, Bambada, like yeah, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm curious, like, you know, with what happened to your friend Tim, and is this something that you think about as you get older in terms of, Life is this, this, the cliche. Life is short, but also just enjoying living life to the fullest. And think, you think about that, about that stuff a lot more. Yes. Yeah. What's interesting is, so Tim, my best friend, passed from COVID. It was after he passed. I'm always reflecting on things that we did. I'm like, he did some things he shouldn't have been doing because there was financial issues. When you got all these medical bills, you have financial mm. issues. And he did things that 
they weren't smart, but then he was living life, yeah. and Tim loved living life. And because he loved living life, he also became more attractive to other people, meaning he was just somebody that you liked. Yeah. He didn't stop to think what was more responsible. He did things because of relationships. Okay. So I think about that now, too. It's like, lighten up, Steve. Lighten <laughs> up. It doesn't all have to be about budgets and yeah. what's going to be best in five years. So, yeah. yeah, I've thought about that a lot since he passed. Is there anything, any decisions you've made recently that five years ago, Steve, or ten years ago, Steve, probably wouldn't have done because he... Well sold the records and the CDs. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely something that was influenced because of there's no need for the records anymore. Yeah. If Tim was still around, I would still have the records mm. because he would come over and we would just spin records whenever he came to visit from yeah. Chicago. Yeah. That's not so, and I'm okay with it again. I'm perfectly fine with letting all that go and having digital versions. Mm -hmm. So that was probably the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the story behind the Run DMC shirt? Oh, gosh, we're big fans. We had front row <laughs> tickets in a Madison, Wisconsin concert. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so I've got three of these. Not this one, but there's like four, I think, four types of these classic shirts, yeah. and I had three of them. What year did you go to the Run DMC concert? Gosh, I have that CD. I kept that <laughs> one. Gosh, I don't know, 1985? Oh, that's Pinnacle. Yeah, that's when they Yeah, were this big. is before King of Rock. So it was after a couple of the big hits, yeah. Walk This Way, yeah. It wasn't the first concert we saw him at either. So it was just the one we... I used to work at a record store, so mm. they had a Ticketmaster outlet there. there. Wow. And <laughs> we're talking old school stuff here. <laughs> and so I was able to you know, score some tickets. Because nobody in the suburbs of Chicago where I was selling tickets at yeah. were in line to buy run DMC tickets in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. And so I was able to get in there and, and legally, honor, honestly, or what do you call it? You know, I wasn't cheating to get first row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Front row. What was that show like? I never got to see any of like. I'm trying to think if I got to see any of the old school hip hop artists live. I mean, they were just around, but I don't think that I've ever saw them in concert. Yeah. Oh um, man, they were good. But I'll tell you what. Probably I remember. Mo There's two concerts I remember most. Yeah. One, we saw LL Cool J mm. and Bobby Brown Ooh. after his first album, just before his second album yeah. dropped. Saw him open up for LL Cool J. Yeah. I didn't know anything about Bobby Oh, Brown. really? Yeah, he's and a performer, like, man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is good. But we came to see Cool J, and he sure. was, of course, sure. killing it. Yeah. And it was at the Rose, not the Rosemont. Anyway, it was a smaller theater, so maybe not even a thousand people. Yeah. But the other one was at the Rosemont Theater, which in Chicago is a big, this is the big theater you go yeah. to see concerts in, indoor concerts. And we had probably 40th row or something like that, and we found ourselves up to the 20th row. Not honestly there. <laughs> but <laughs> that was like one of those, they had like eight different artists. Oh, yeah. You had Bismarcky, oh. who I didn't care for as much back then, yeah. but the one that blew me away. I'd heard the name, we listened to some of the records, but they did such a great job. It just totally transformed me to be an Eric B. and Rakim. Oh, fan my God, of, of course, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> when you got that bass hitting you and everybody in the... Yeah. In the room Painful. is just, yeah. oh man, <laughs> thinking of a master plan. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh. Just classic. So some of those concerts just completely change your mind on the artist. And that one definitely did it. Especially rappers that back then, I think people underappreciate the skill of rapping or what it takes. And I think of Big Daddy Kane. I think of Eric B and Rakim. Like true lyricists, when you listen, if you, you enjoy, you probably get to, into the music or their songs because of the groove, because of the beat. 
But then if you like slow down and or you now it's so easy to get lyrics or songs nowadays and you can follow along. And it's just amazing, like some of the <laughs> songs that they, they would write and just or the lyrics they would write. And just like if you think about that now, that's the true skill itself, like that ability to do that. Do you remember the DLC? The D- Portrait of a Masterpiece? No. Oh, my gosh. OK, so that guy is just yeah. hitting it, hitting, hitting it. Yeah. And you listen to the lyrics. It takes it, you got to listen to it three times just to catch up with the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. And the beat is fantastic. You'll listen to it. You go, oh, I know that song. Yeah. I'm sure you spun it once or twice. Yeah. OK. But man, I don't know why that one just came to mind, but that was just this one song that anytime I hear it, blood pressure goes up. <laughs> I feel like spinning on the floor. It's fantastic. Yeah. There's certain music that's made for breakdancing and there's certain beats and it's that old that break beat, that amen break beat, and just like there's mm-hmm. certain things that you hear and you're just like, Oh, you just feel like even me that never got I mean, I never was able to like pull off a windmill or you know i just got some like footwork and that's about the extent of it because when you even just it would have been nice to just pull off maybe the worm i think that's probably something I pulled <laughs> off. And then, <laughs> or, yeah and definitely some popping and locking but definitely when you that stuff is next level but it's really just driven how much of it is driven by the energy of the music and how mm-hmm. i feel it now with house music like a song will pull me onto the dance floor like i'll hear yep. it and i'll be like i gotta go dance like i have to go move to this beat it's like really interesting that was arthur baker breaker's revenge I and mean, just those types of records yeah. they were just fantastic samples of things but really yeah. recreated into this completely new energetic beat that you had to get on the floor for. yeah it was a, i mean i'm sure every one of their generation says this is the best time for music or something like that but i think honestly when you get to see births of music like the birth of hip-hop from the birth of house music again from chicago it's just like it feels like a very special time because there's something interesting about the energy of a movement as it's happening and people are like what's this sound or what's it's so exciting have you seen the elvis movie i have not Oof. it's interesting because i always wondered well, how come no one's ever made a movie about elvis he's such an iconic <laughs> artist and it, 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 copyright he, he deserves like a ray charles type-esque movie and finally they made it and there's this one scene in there where they show him the first time he starts singing and moving and gyrating his hips, right? This is the 50s or whatever era it was. And it was, they showed the moment where women were like, just kind of like losing their mind. They're like shaking. And then all of a sudden the first one was like, ah, like it comes out of her mouth in a way, like she can't control it because she's just like, what's <laughs> happening here? Like I'm seeing something I've, I've never seen before, you know, and the boyfriends are next to him, like all like weird and nervous. But I felt the energy of watching that, you know, kind of the same way. Like when I first, like the first rap I heard, I think was Roxanne Chante. And oh, wow. yeah. And which is an answer record to <laughs> a novelty song, U- UTFO. <laughs> but there was that whole battle thing going on. Like Karis, which yeah. rappers would ba- battle each other with music. It's funny, interesting breakers battling, but, with dance and the first time i heard roxanne chante i was like i can't understand what she's saying like she's <laughs> literally rapping so fast that i was like it's so new to me like this experience and over time obviously you get to hear it and you get to follow along but just like, overall just that energy of experiencing something new for the first time is pretty wild i literally had 12 different songs <laughs> from people in that whole roxanne yeah. roxanne <laughs> There was what do you lot. call it? It's like the expansion pack or something like that. I mean, it was crazy how many different people did a song about Roxanne, Roxanne. Roxanne. Yeah. Wow. She ended up having, she actually had a a little biopic made about her on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it, but oh. it's about Roxanne Chante and growing up in Queens. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. You have to wonder where they, I mean, we're doing a kind of where we are today type of thing, but where are they? 
Yes. Where are they? Yeah. That, those are, it's behind, it's probably, we need a behind the music VH1 for like all these rappers and. <laughs> and you know what? It's interesting because you can find a lot of this stuff. I mean, Wikipedia is such a great resource yeah. for all kinds of things, but there is one artist that I can't find anything on. Freestar artist. Okay. That, but she goes by the name of Monet. Okay. And she had some, oh man, these are like Miami beat, high energy type yeah. records. I just, my heart gets all the breaks. Oh yeah. Come on to me. Wow. Oh my gosh. Is it Carlos Barbosa? I think was yeah. the producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I know all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. This stuff was just, but I can't find anything about her. Really? What happened to her? So how do you find out? I guess you got to go back and find people who knew the people. And yeah. There's probably Facebook groups talking about freestyle. I mean, cause that was the precursor to house music and it was like a, a mix of the Yes, Miami-based sound and disco sound. Mm-hmm. And I mean, freestyle music is its own subgenre, but I had a ton of freestyle on vinyl as well, too. Yep, anything from Micmac Records. Yeah. Those are great. Yeah. Fever Records. Fever Records. You know, cover Girls. Uh, cover Girls, and, yep. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm going through the vinyl in my mind right now. It's like flicking through the vinyl. Yeah. Profile Records with the red and black. Yes. Sweet Sensation. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, we are really just reflecting on old... <laughs> we've just completely alienated most of your listeners. No, well, I think it's also showing like the diversity of like everything that's made me and made you who I am. I have a DJ SoundCloud and it's mostly house mixes. It's DJ HD on SoundCloud. And so I'm about 12, 13 mixes over the years that I put together. But I was like, I was pulling records, just MP3s the other day. And I was like, I think I'm going to make a freestyle mix. So I've got about 20 or 30 songs I'm going to go through and I'm just going to make a freestyle mix and just put that on SoundCloud and just for fun, just because we can. And again, like it's just a, a nice trip down memory lane and might and be... You don't get in trouble with copyright and stuff like that? No, on SoundCloud, it's all mix, It's all DJ mixes anyway. So occasionally oh, okay. they'll mention something about a song. But I mean, SoundCloud started as DJ mixes. And funny enough, I've mentioned this a couple of times. When I first heard the word podcast, this is 2012, I understood it to be a DJ mix. Like I didn't know people spoke on, pod, like I didn't know about podcasts with people speaking. So a DJ was like, I got a new podcast up and I'd be like, oh, cool. That means a DJ mix. And I'd go to SoundCloud mm. and I'd go listen to his podcast. And it was only like when I created a mobile app for electronic music called Know Your DJ. That, and then I said, and I started finding these podcasts where people were talking about mobile apps. I was like, oh, there's actually like, <laughs> it's actually like there's my people. people. Talk, there's my people. Yeah. So it's, but I have to thank probably DJing for getting me into podcasting because it's funny. A lot of people get into it are from radio or television yeah. or they got some kind of my, of entertainment background. So yeah, yeah. that makes sense. So bring now, bring back that, then. but see, cause we can bring everything full circle back. Cause now we're going to talk Please about do. podcast editing. <laughs> oh yay, My favorite subject. <laughs> okay, so if anyone's following the threads, we can just pull all those things together and see how, because of everything you've been doing in the podcast space, obviously you know what you were doing, people wanted your help, and specifically, it's interesting the distinction about podcast editing, is that different than what you would consider just a full-service podcast agency? Oh yeah, absolutely, because yeah. it's really specific to the post-production side. Okay. In fact, this Facebook group that I have, all we do is talk about post-production or running a podcast editing business. Yeah. We don't talk about mics and mixers. We don't talk about who's the best media host. We don't talk about how to grow an audience, get on other shows. That's all been done in the other groups. Yeah. So it's really podcast editing. And people can argue with me on this, but they're wrong. It is post-production. What? You can't edit yourself as you're recording. You, oh, can, okay. you can stop from saying things. Like I have... <laughs> It's funny, I listened back to episode 22 of Podcast Junkies, yeah. 
and I still have the same verbal crutch. It's my <laughs> verbal crutch. So I can maybe stop myself from saying, you know, but that's not really editing. Yeah. Post-production. So, so when did it start to take, because becoming a podcast editor and doing it for clients is one thing, but there's also a certain amount of responsibility and extra work required when you decide you want to have a, a community around it as well. Mm-hmm. So what was the decision to do that, and why did you feel you wanted to take that on? I was being selfish. <laughs> <laughs> so I started this in 2016, started a, editing full-time 2016, and then 2017, it was right around my birthday in January of 2017, I'm like, you know what? There's all these great Facebook groups for podcasters. There's nothing talking about the post-production side. I want to have a discussion about post-production. I thought, well, if nobody else is going to create one, I guess I'll do it. And I knew a couple people who were editing. I didn't know if they were doing it for money or just they did it themselves, but I invited a few to get it going. And within just a month, I think I had at least 100 people in there. Hmm. And over the years, people just, because that community is, yes, we're in competition with each other, but really there's enough room to go around. Oh, yeah enough business to grow. So we've just been collaborative and helpful and we can also, you know, lean on each other's shoulders when we're crying about how this was such a horrible editing job. <laughs> but it's grown to over 8700 members. Wow. Yeah, since 2017. Is it still it a Facebook? just because I wanted the group and I still love it. Is it still a Facebook group? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how has the yeah. dynamic of the group changed when it's a couple of hundred now to now 8700? Really the biggest change has been in the past year or two. The majority of people joining now, well, that majority, I would say almost half the people coming in, well, these would be new people too, though, so mm-hmm. I don't know if they're actually new editors, but they're now saying that their main editing program, because they have, I have three, four questions they have to answer when they join the group. Mm-hmm. That way I know that they're qualified to be in the group. And the first one is, what do you edit with? If they say Microsoft Word, they don't get into the group. <laughs> if they say Anchor, they're not getting to my group. I had one person say PowerPoint. I'm like, what? No. Editing audio at with least, PowerPoint? It's obviously they weren't the right people for the group. So, but a majority of the people coming in now, their editing program is Premiere Pro, yeah, DaVinci Resolve, Logic Pro, and Descript, which yeah. are all video editors. Descript does a lot yeah. of things, but yeah, yeah. So it's really just this huge focus on editing video, which in 2024 I do believe YouTube will legitimately have a podcast app for YouTube podcasts. What about, I know that we have the channels now, but I don't consider that a podcast yet. And what about Hindenburg? Well, Hindenburg doesn't edit video. So, oh, you're saying how many people? Yeah, in terms of people. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, this is interesting because you caught me in a good time. I'm going to pull something up on my computer and I'll, I'll tell you what it's in there. But we just revealed the results from our 2023 podcast editor industry survey. And so we asked people things. The professional podcast editors in the community say, hey, if you don't mind, we'll anonymize the information, but tell us, what are you charging? How long does it take you to work on it? And then, so we can extrapolate information, like yeah. what's the average rate going on out there? Yeah. How long does it take people to do? And what's the most popular DAWs? Now, we're out, we're talking specifically audio here. Sure. Not NLEs, which are video, but... What's NLE stand for? Nonlinear editor. Oh, okay. I had to learn that myself <laughs> this year. <laughs> How sad is that? Yeah. So we're all growing. Yeah. The main DAW is still, by far... It's at least 2x, even the number, no, the next one in the line is Audition, Adobe Audition. Adobe, okay. Yep, it's always number one yeah. by a long Industry shot. standard there. Yeah, in the past, the second one has been very close neck and neck Audacity. Yeah. And Reaper. Yeah, okay. And then fourth place was Hindenburg. That's traditionally what it's been. Now, 
Second place is Reaper. Pro Tools is third, which I find interesting because a lot of places where people came into the podcast editing industry came from that used Pro Tools came from radio yeah. or television, you know, studio. And now it's number three, and then Audacity's number four, and then Hindenburg's number five. Okay. And we've got some theories as to why that is because now Descript is in the top seven. Yeah. And it wasn't ever in the top seven before because, man, Descript is just doing some wow. interesting, <laughs> crazy things. And with more focus on video, Descript is video. So yeah. it just makes sense. People are doing the script for their audio and video needs. When was the inflection point in the community and the interest or growth in editors doing focused on video or beginning to add video? It's been the past year or two. Yeah. I mean, there has been, I'd say ever since audiograms became a thing that people thought would work, and I don't think they really do, the focus for video being posted in social Mm -hmm. grew quite a bit. And then with the ease of putting YouTube videos up, everybody started putting their podcast there, whether it was an actual recording or the still frame image of their show logo with the audio playing, then YouTube became a video platform for podcasts. But in the past year or two is definitely when there was more focus on generating more social clips with the moving, the actual people talking, the words popping up on the screen. Actually, it's been two or three years for yeah, that. Yeah. And along, well, if I'm already learning how to use some kind of video editing tool to do this, why not just start editing the videos as well? How different is what they learn or what they get from the community around understanding how to edit a video podcast versus just editing a standard video. Are there nuances between, you know, someone who's just a video editor knows how to edit video versus someone who's specifically editing a video. That's a podcast. Wait, the difference between editing a video and editing a video podcast. Yeah. Well, in the past you'd have video editors that just, that was their trade. And obviously, you know, it's been more, there's so much competition for that space that it's, you would pay premium. If you, if someone told you there was a their video editor, you're like, okay, this is going to cost me an arm and a leg for three or four or $500 for a video for one episode or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, that's not the case anymore. I mean, I edit video too with the script and it's so easy, but do they have to have a, like a mind sh- like a difference. I'm just wondering if people who have been editing traditionally podcast audio, do they have a leg up because they understand podcasting when they move into video? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think that's the, I mean, yes, in a way, but not to the extent I think most people would, would consider. Just because yeah. you're in podcast land doesn't mean yeah. editing audio doesn't mean you can edit a video podcast at a higher level than somebody who knows how to edit video. Yeah. And we can go back to what people think might be editing a podcast, audio podcast, is, oh, well, I take the recording, I put it into a DAW, I put the intro and outro on it, and I'm done. That's editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not really. It can be considered editing, but a very small, that's really not, I don't consider that editing. Same with video, then. People take their Zoom recordings and throw them up on YouTube, and they might cut off the beginning and end where they're doing some chit-chat or, yeah, yeah. or whatever, and that's editing because they brought it into a video editing program, but not really. Yeah. But if you're going to be doing something, and I pray people who do video podcasts, true video podcasts, do this. We've got the cameras. We're switching cameras. We're putting slides on there, lower thirds, title slides, whatever. We're making it a little more dynamic, a little more entertaining, more than just two talking heads. Yeah. Because if we're going to use YouTube and say these are podcasts, I pray that they're good and not just 
oh, well, this is just two people talking. I don't like this. This podcasting <laughs> sucks. No, don't besmirch podcasting because somebody threw their Zoom recording up on, on YouTube. Yeah. So the video editing piece of it, I mean, I would hope that people do more editing of the actual recordings. And that can involve, like I said, camera switching is a big thing right there. It's easier to hide and by cutting it out and switching the camera angle when it happens. And that's probably the one major benefit to having multiple cameras for either one person yeah. or for if you got two people. Yeah. Because I could switch to, like if I get boring or I'm not doing anything exciting on screen, we could easily switch right to Harry's picture where he's going, yeah, mm-hmm, <laughs> and then come right back yeah. and you took out my um or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Or, yeah, I mean, if I was had enough time to dig through some of these I'd probably put some a snippet of Beach Street or something. Yeah. <laughs> or interlude where we're playing the Monet song while we're having this conversation. Yeah. Last Chance by Siri. Mm. Yes. That's a jam. Yeah. yeah I feel like we're going to need a, a in-depth show notes for this one. Chapter markers. Yeah. But going back to the video piece with the editing, now we're talking strictly about more about the editing yeah. and not the engineering. And with yeah. the audio, with the post-production engineering, we're talking about audio, we're talking about light, focus, stuff like that. So there's more to it than just editing. Yeah. But I think in this discussion, as we're talking about editing, people, please forgive me by not talking about those other things. We're just going to include them in the word editing for video and audio here. But it would seem that anyone who's got a strong fundamentals in editing, tools like the script makes their job easier but the fact that they the grounding helps them to be probably a, bit, a better editor in something like the script is that i don't know with no? the script it's a completely different animal yeah i mean anybody can if i were to start from nothing i would probably have to start with the script yeah i agree although hindenburg has been a very attractive daw but it doesn't do video so yeah. the script is a completely different animal you're editing text <laughs> like a word document how does that edit audio and video and then you put these slashes in there and it changes the scene so you can switch cameras, you can bring in B-roll, Yeah. you can export snippets and they could then have your words on the screen so now you have your sound bites for social media. Holy crap, it's all in one. Amazing. I haven't Amazing done, what they've done. I haven't played around too much with the snippets and the playing around with the scenes. And So you could create a snippet in the text section. Of, are you putting brackets around the one the thing that you want as your snippet? Is that what you're saying? Or you highlight it. Yeah, okay. Or you can, I mean, yeah, it's, well, think you, of a Word document. You could take the paragraph, highlight it with your cursor. Yeah. You're working with that piece. You can move it anywhere you want. Yeah. And it moves it in the final product. Or you can export it out as the snippet. Or it's just, my. and now they have live recording stuff like Squadcast, which Harry Duran is using right now. Use promo code, what is it, Harry? You got a affiliate <laughs> uh, pod, link for this? Podcastjunkies.com forward slash squadcast. I don't even know if it works anymore because now it's, now it's the script. So congrats <laughs> to the team for that acquisition. But I just saw today that they announced they're adding the AI tools. They will find the snippet for you now. Yeah, yeah. So it's, There's some other programs out there that are very interested in doing <clears> the same thing. But if it's built in with this, within the script, it's kind of like... yeah. It's Walmart, yeah. <laughs> one-stop shopping. Where do you see this headed in terms of, is oh. this just more, is it helping the indie podcaster have the confidence to handle more of these things in-house? Because that would be the big barrier in the past. It's like, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. I'm not going to edit because I can't afford an editor. Yes and no. Here, we're talking about podcasting. Of course, the answer is it, it depends. It depends, yeah. 
It depends is the obvious answer. Yeah. I think that the people who truly want to do a show and will not pay or cannot pay somebody else to help them with it, then they might use a tool. I don't know if it's going to be Descript because it costs money. Mm-hmm. Depends on how cheap they are. Now, if they really get into the craft of post-production, yeah. they're going to be interested in tools like Hindenburg, like Descript, like DaVinci Resolve. They might just go that direction. That's what I did. I ended up using Isotope RX because I heard about it, and it's now something I use all the time to clean up mouth clicks and take out the lower end of the bass and voice. You know, I mean, it's a tool I never heard of. And once I learned what it was, I was like, okay, because I was interested in it, it actually made me a better editor. Thank goodness. But with video, you've got to want to try it and commit yourself to learning it. There's lots of software programs I've wanted to learn and I haven't just because I haven't committed the time to it. That's my problem. But if I were to open up and I would go with spending a whole full week learning to script, I would com- I'm sure it would completely change what I do. Yeah, I think it's a function of putting in the time. And I run an agency, so we have folks that do it on the team. So sometimes I'll go in because I want to learn it. But at some point I feel like, do I want to grow the agency or do I want to like learn how to use the script? And the hobbyist in me is just like, oh, it's such an interesting tool to and fun. It's actually fun to work with, you know, when you know what you're doing mm-hmm. in there. And so I think when I first started editing audio, I stayed away from a long time, but I did take a mastering class. So I was using Ableton Live. I don't know if anyone's yeah. using Ableton Live in your group, but it was what I knew. I learned how to produce because I was producing electronic music. And then I learned the mastering suite, Pro Tools, and then all the isotope sweet ozone all that stuff there to really make stuff sound pristine so it's really fun but i think i'll give the rx suite another look it's been a while since i've taken a look at that rx 10 advanced has dialogue isolate dialogue dialogue d reverb so it's not just d reverb it's dialogue d it's just oh wow yeah but what it can't do is recreate the voice which guess what description This is the Descript Hour. Hey, use promo code Descript when you go to harrydurand.com slash Descript. <laughs> so as we get close to the end of this fun and, and no! conversation, I'm just curious, like, I don't know if you ever have a chance to look back at what podcasting has done for you or what it's meant for you. When you look at just the experience that I had starting in 2014, I remember getting on the shuttle bus from the airport to New Media Expo in January 2014, just like, mm-hmm. I don't know anybody I'm a complete fish out of water. This is so awkward. It felt like the first day of school. <laughs> and fast forward to what it's done. It's changed my life. I mean, it's like my business is podcasting. I host two shows. Like I've had the show for almost 10 years. Do you have the time to look back and just kind of just really think about what impact it's had on you? Well, my whole life has changed because of it. Yeah. I was a consumer and I wanted to get into it. I did. That lasted five years, and then it became a career editing for other people who I like, and because it's the kind type of content I was creating, because it was really what my interest was in. So I get to work with my peers, my friends. Yeah, life is. I am blessed. I am blessed to be able to work on my own schedule. Yeah, to make enough money to support our family. My wife quit her toxic job in 2021, mm. and. Life is fantastic. So has it changed? It's completely changed my life from used to grind it out the old day job, which involved a lot of travel away from home, stuff like that. And it's just a lot better now. Everything's a lot better, not just for me, but for my family. Can you talk a little bit about the community? Because I think obviously that's how we met. And, you know, we got to chat for a little bit with and got to chat with your lovely wife at the conference as well recently in Podcast Movement. Oh, right. Yeah. And so how's that been? Because I mean, I have there's friends that I've, 
I only have because of podcasting as well. So it's interesting. Right. Well, I'm sure you felt it, but podcast movement, podfest, I go to all these conferences, the podcast centric ones that I attend. Mm -hmm. And there's some people that, you know, and you're at this point right now, I'm searching for people I know. We're in a yeah. sea of people that I've never had the opportunity <laughs> to meet. And it's good and bad. More people are coming in. But that means I'm looking for somebody I know to talk to again, but I'm not meeting the new people. What's mm. wrong with me? So this industry has grown yeah. since this conversation we had yeah. in September of 2014. Yeah. Here it's the it's going to be the 10th year of podcast movement. It'll be the 10th year for PodFest Expo. Videos, the big thing. Social media is big for podcasts. What? Yeah. But that's always been the outreach piece of it. It's still going. It's still just rocking along. So, what was the question? I can't remember. You, looking no, at just, who attends yeah, and the no, community? just kind of thinking back, like looking back, and some because sometimes they always say like sometimes you move so fast that it's hard to just pause and say like look back and like oh wow, look how far I've gotten or look what I've accomplished or look where I'm at or. I have a business because of this and I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm just go, 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 or just what's the next thing or what's the next client mm -hmm. or, you know, and you don't really think sometimes you just got to savor the wins. And I think it's, it's a nice opportunity to do that. And to, for me personally, to be grateful for everything that it's introduced and it's exciting to see, I remember, and you and I both remember just mentioning the word podcast to people in 2014 and just be like, what's that? I don't know what that is. And that's, it's rare. You see that Edison research chart, like it's pretty rare for anyone not to know what a podcast is now. So it's, it's fun to watch. Yep. Yep. And, or get a misinterpretation of what one is if it's just on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you think YouTube's going to have its own player, not like YouTube. Oh, music. it will. Yeah. YouTube podcast. YouTube Music is the podcast app. I, I guess it is now. It's just yeah. that they haven't ingested the RSS feed yet, so yeah. it doesn't automate it. But YouTube, if your show was only... Here, I'm going to get myself into trouble. YouTube proper versus YouTube Music. YouTube proper is, was not a podcast app for two main reasons. And actually, Tom Webster defined it brilliantly. Yeah. You couldn't listen to YouTube or watch YouTube if you didn't have connection to the internet because you couldn't download the files to your device. Yeah. And unless you're paying for YouTube, whatever the YouTube plan is, once you turn off your screen, audio stops. Yeah. That's yep. not a podcast app. Yep. yep. YouTube music is going to allow that. And I think it does now. So thank goodness. And then once they ingest RSS feeds, it's all over. Anything that goes on to that, and from what I understand, I could be wrong, but from what I understand is if you whether it's video or audio, if you give them your RSS feed, then it's going to pull the audio to YouTube Music and then you have an actual podcast app for Google. Are they going to tie the you Because you can designate a playlist in YouTube as a podcast, which we do now for our clients. Yeah. And is it going to be able to tie my Captivate RSS feed if I ingest that to the fact that it's there's a YouTube also indication, there's a podcast playlist in there and tie them together and sync them up? Right. We'll simplify this. You have to create a playlist yeah. and label it podcast yep. in YouTube or YouTube. I don't know how you do it for YouTube music yet, but somewhere that's going to come into play where you have a channel called podcast and then whatever you put there yeah. becomes podcast. If it's video, it can be on YouTube. Yeah. If it's audio or if it's an RSS feed, it's going to be audio on YouTube music. 
That's ha- from what I understand. But when they say ingest an RSS feed, right now my RSS feed lives on Captivate, right? Because right, you'll submit it to YouTube and then it'll be it'll pull from it automatically. Okay, but, but so it when, won't be the video. It won't be the, be video. the audio. Yeah, that's what I understand it to be. It'll be interesting to watch for sure. And I mean, we always would try to get stuff on YouTube anyway because it's the number two search engine and mm-hmm. all that. So it feels like it'll be a game changer in terms of visibility. And I noticed this a couple of years ago when I took a, a lift to the airport and I told him at a podcast and when we got, he dropped me off. He's like, oh, what's your podcast? And he pulls out his phone and he's got YouTube on, he's open. He's like, what's your podcast? And I was like, ah, <laughs> that was a bit yeah. of a wake up call for me. I was like, okay, I got to think about this differently. And it's going to be, I think this idea of tying it to an RSS feed is as much as people like the purists want to hold on to that. I think yeah. it's just like a, it's a show. Like we've talked, you know, I remember talking about this years ago. It's a show and it's going to be found wherever it's found. Right. But the problem is if people are looking on their app and it's YouTube and it's not a video, mm. it's not going to be... Well, unless you upload it as an audio only with the square image type yeah. thing to yeah. YouTube, but it's not going to be a true podcast app. Yeah. Not YouTube proper. It's got to be YouTube music. So that's what I hate most about YouTube killing off the Google podcast app and moving to YouTube music is it's still going to be confusing to people who have podcasts... I know. It's our fault, too. Podcasters, <laughs> this is our fault. We put our content on YouTube for exposure. Yeah, Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. But people started to expect that a podcast was on YouTube, even though YouTube proper is not a podcast app. Yeah, yeah. Not by the definition that I and Todd Webster has, have given it, where it's got to be off you know, off the internet. You can still listen, or the stream sure. can be off, and yeah. you still listen, without having to pay for the app. Yeah. So... Same one we'd be having if we were just sitting at the bar at that podcast movement, if we just had more time. And so I love this opportunity to just slow down because as much as I'd love to have these at podcast movement, we both know it's nearly impossible with all the stuff that's happening around us. And so I think I just will always treasure having this platform. And even if five people or 5,000 people listen, it's mostly for me because I get to connect with my podcast peeps and I don't see that ending anytime soon. So I appreciate you coming back for round two and, and sharing your story, us sharing our connections and our love and our passion for music. And I think that came through as well today. Music and podcast. Yes. Yes. So anywhere you want to send folks to connect with you? <laughs> yeah, they can. Uh, well, if they're interested in getting into editing as a profession, come check out the Podcast Editor Academy. That's where we help people start and grow their podcast editing businesses. If you just want to hang out with other editors, talk about the post-production side of podcasting, just go to Podcast Editors Club on Facebook. That's the main platform that we have this community for all podcast editors, whether they're just doing it for themselves or they're doing it as a business. All right, perfect. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Thanks again, my friend. This was a blast. Thanks, Harry. So great to see you again. (laughs) Always appreciative of my guest's time. I never take that for granted. I know an hour is valuable time, and I'm so grateful they were able to come on and share their journey with you. As a reminder, if you are ready to get your podcast off the ground and don't know where to start, sign up for Podcast Blueprint 101 and use promo code PBHD50 for half off the price. For a complete picture of everything that's happening in the world of podcasting and all the companies making moves, visit thepodosphere.com and create your own pod stack today. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Visit fullcast.co and click the play button to learn the five pillars of a successful podcast that every business owner needs to know prior to launching. As a reminder, if you enjoyed this show or past episodes, you can show me some love by leaving a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies and I'll be sure to read those out on a future episode. Intro and outro 
intro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Visit cedarsoil.com for his full catalog. Tune in next week for a conversation with yet another fascinating podcaster as we dig deep, learn about their show, and what makes them tick. Thanks for all you do to support this show across all our socials. I truly appreciate it. Talk to you next week.